thank you for listening to the Fred Lowry Podcast. We hope this message will inspire and encourage you. Don't forget to connect with Dr. Fred by visiting fredlowry.com. And also connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. In our second snapshot of Jesus, we're going to talk about temptation and how Jesus handled temptation. And this is one area that I'm an expert on, maybe the only area, in that I, I can handle anything but temptation. I, I proved that last, uh, last week because Krispy Kreme donuts are the best in the world. Now, I know, you know, around here, it's, it's you know, it's Southern made and all, and, and don't write me letters. I understand that, you know, no problem. I just know my donuts. And when you're at the Krispy Kreme place and you get one hot off the deal as if they're coming around, I mean, I can't explain to you the type of experience that I have when that, uh, when that happens. So Pam Williamson brought me back some from Dallas and uh, I, I, I put them in uh, Ziploc bags and froze them to see if that would, you know, I could, I could keep them because I can't handle them just sitting there. And I would just, you know, get them out, you know, occasionally. So I did that, but uh, this weekend, uh, they got on the counter. Well, it's, it's over for me. When, when they're in view, I, I just, it's, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm just driven to them and then I eat them. So I know about temptation. I struggle with it. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. You looking so spiritual, and I know you battle temptation also. Every day of your life, little boy, his mother told him, you're not going back to that swimming hole and swimming with those boys again. Well, he said, okay. Well, later she checked, and guess where the boy was? In that swimming hole. And so she said, son, I told you not to, not to do that. Why did you do it? He said, the devil tempted me. The devil made me do it. She said, son, if the devil did it, why did you just happen to have your bathing suit? He said, I brought my bathing suit in case the devil tempted me. <laughs> so sometimes we can set ourselves up for temptations. In our first snapshot of Jesus, if you can remember back that long, it was the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan River when the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the heavens opened and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from that splash in the Jordan River, now it will continue to splash all over Judea as the ministry of Jesus Christ in his 30th year on the planet becomes public. Now in our second snapshot of Jesus, we find Jesus in, the, in chapter 4 of Matthew in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Now the wilderness ref, refers to that mountainous region that's between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's a barren, desolate place. Lee and I have been there and several times. I, I just uh, can't describe to you how barren, how desolate that place is. But let's read about it over in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, 
It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, and now you have the devil quoting scripture. And by the way, the devil will quote scripture to you. He'll just use it out of context or he'll use partial verses. The devil knows scripture better than you know scripture. Hello. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and ascended him. Now this temptation is recorded by all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke just has a, a verse about it, but the others in detail in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4. This story that God wanted to include in his book because he knew that you and I would struggle with this thing called temptation. One of the reasons these snapshots are so important is that the secret of Christianity is in the personality of Jesus Christ. The more you know Jesus, the more you understand what Christianity is all about. And the more you see Jesus in relationships, how he deals with people, how he dealt with a personal devil, how he handles problems and difficulties, then you and I will know how we are to handle relationships, not only with one another, but most importantly, with Jesus and with God himself. Now, let's ask the basic questions. Who are we talking about? Who is the one tempted in this passage? It was Jesus. Verse 1 tells us, and Jesus was led of the devil into the wilderness to be tempted. Not the divine son of God, even though God has just referred to him as the son of God in the river Jordan. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But it was Jesus, the name that identifies God with humanity, the name that brings God into sympathetic touch with mankind, the name that announces the power to save us from our sins, Jesus. Jesus was led into this battle with Satan not as God, but as man. It's important you, you get that down, you understand this. He was led into this battle, not as God, but as man. Because had he fought on, on ground we could never occupy, had he depended upon power that you and I do not possess, then this would have not been a temptation and, and the Bible could not say that he was tempted in all points just as we are. And that's indeed what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Let me read it for you. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, for those many times you've said, I wish someone could understand how I feel, where I'm coming from, what's going on inside of me, 
I promise you that your Lord Jesus does understand. He knows, and you can talk to him about anything. We don't have an absentee God. We have a personal Savior who identified with you and me in our struggle, in our temptations. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. We have one who's faced every temptation we face, except the good news is he won every battle. The great news for you and me, because he won every battle, you and I can win the battles. We can cope. We can conquer temptation. Oh, it's a continual thing. You never arrive, but you've got the power. We do not have to fail. We do not have to fall. We can overcome. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. We're overcomers through the power and the grace of God. Somebody might say, well, you know, I think I'm tempted so much because I must be bad. No, that's not it at all. Because it is not sin to be tempted. The fact that you're tempted is not sin. Jesus was tempted and Jesus had no sin. Now, let me just spend a little bit of time here because this is one of those confusing passages for many people in God's word. And theologians have had a party with this particular passage. And here's the question. Could Jesus have sinned? If not, then why the temptations? They are absurd. They are a farce if Jesus could not have sinned. Let me try to illustrate for you in giving you just a simple illustration. They're building a railroad bridge of steel and concrete to hold uh, millions of tons of weight and the maximum amount of vibration. And so all the engineers do their job and they, they construct this bridge and then they test it. They run five locomotive diesels out on that bridge and then they rev up the engines to the maximum vibration. So you've got the weight and the maximum vibration to see what happens. The bridge does not collapse. It does not cave in. It does not fall. It does not fail. Now, was this test real? Yes, it was a real test. Was the test to prove that the bridge would fall? No. The test was to prove that the bridge would not so it is with Jesus. He was tempted not to show that he could fall, to show that he could not fall. Was it real? Yes, it was real. Was it painful? Even more painful than when you and I are tempted. Why so? Because we have a sinful nature. We even enjoy some temptation. Oh, come on, you look so spiritual. Sin is fun for a while. I mean, there are a lot of things that are just fun. Eating Krispy Kreme donuts, I could eat three dozen. I mean, that's not painful to see Krispy Kreme donuts. It's wonderful. 
But for the Lord Jesus, who never sinned, who could not sin, it was painful for him to be tempted by sin. The good news is that he did not give in. And let me say one more thing about the temptation of Jesus in this wilderness. He was there 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And that is a, it's a present tense participle. It means he was tempted not just at the end of 40 days. He was tempted continuously for 40 days and 40 nights. You say, well, what does that mean? I'm telling you, you're going to be continually tempted your whole life. You'll never reach a time when you're not tempted in this life. It is a part of a fallen world. And if Satan had the audacity to tempt the very son of the living God, what makes you think you can get by without being tempted? It's coming your way. So who was tempted? Jesus Christ. Tempted as a man, as a God man. You see, he's different from us. He chose to be born. You didn't. He chose to be born. He chose to become a man, uniquely a man. Why? So that he could take away the fear of death for you and me. So that he could reconcile you and me with the living God. So that he could rescue us from temptation so that we could be conquerors, so that we could cope, so that we could have victory. Christ did not have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. He was tempted. It was real. The tests were real. We're tempted. He was tempted in all manner as we're tempted. And he's the one who could show us how to deal with temptation and win. When was he tempted? Now, this is very interesting because it, it, the temptation in the wilderness came following the greatest spiritual experience of the life of Jesus Christ. It was the first snapshot at the River Jordan. Now, here is Jesus who comes to the River Jordan to be baptized of John. And all of a sudden at that baptism, the heavens opened. And the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, wonderfully pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, like a dove, not a dove, like a dove, tenderly descends upon Jesus Christ, a special anointing of the Spirit of God. Now from birth he had the Spirit of God, as did John the Baptist, the Bible says. But this is a special anointing of the Spirit of God. Now you think about it. Think back to your baptism. Let's say you were baptized here in First Baptist Church and when I put you under the water and you came up, all of a sudden we heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow, would that be something? And then the Holy Spirit descends upon you for a special anointing. Now you talk about a spiritual higher, that's higher than any of us have ever been, I, I, I think. At least I had been there.
But this was Jesus. It was the most meaningful spiritual experience of his life. And immediately following it comes the temptation. After the baptism comes the battle. I promise you, when you got saved, some of you thought from now on, I got it made. It's going to be wonderful. But after the baptism came the battle. After the anointing came the attack. After the dove came the devil. Now, here's the principle. Satan will attack you. He will, he will try to get you to try to... to to devastate you following one of the most meaningful spiritual experiences of your life. That's just, Satan is smart enough to know that. See, he's going to tempt you continuously, but I tell you two times you can count on Satan to really tempt you. One is when you're on the mountaintop. The highest of your highs, get ready. I mean, you can, you can get right with God in this church, and I mean, you can almost, it's hard to even touch the floor walking out here. I mean, you can just take on the whole world. You've had such a spiritual experience. Look out, because this week may be the worst week of your entire life. Because Satan's not going to let you live like that. He's going to try to defeat you before you get out of the parking lot by sending another Baptist in your path. So at your highest highs, you just need to know when, when, you really, when you really get with God and exciting things are happening, look out because Satan is coming after you. Pride is the problem. That's how he'll get to you. Second thing you can know for sure, the time you can know for sure, is in your lowest lows, Satan's coming. You see... He's going he's gonna to come to you when circumstances are in his favor. And when things aren't going well and you're down and you're having this pity party, poor me, and you're out in the garden eating worms, and Satan knows that you're low. And that's when he comes in and tries to attack you. And here's what he uses then, unbelief. He whispers in your ear, not much of a God you got. I mean, you call that a God of love that treats you like this? I mean, can you trust a God that you're in this kind of mess? with Unbelief. I can promise you at those two times in your life, when you're on your mountaintop, when you're in the valley, Satan is going to attack you. Leonard Ravenhill says, when God opens the windows of heaven to bless us, Satan opens the gates of hell to blast us. And you can pretty well count on that. Now, there's a difference between trials and tests. Trials and temptations. Temptations are enticements to do wrong. Tests are to strengthen us. They're to build us up. They're to build confidence to know that, that we can make it. You see, trials are to test us. Temptations are to trick us. They are deceptive. Trials are to strengthen our faith. Temptation will weaken our faith. So what we're dealing with in this passage, not trials, not times of testing, but times of pure temptation. 
And we, we never arrive spiritually. There is no point in your spiritual life where you'll ever get above temptation. There will never be a time in your spiritual life when you won't be tempted. There will never be an environment in which you will not have to battle temptation. Adam was in a perfect environment in the garden, and yet the temptation came. Never a time, never an environment, never an atmosphere in which you will not face temptation. So let me just give you four quick warnings. We won't talk about them. I'll just give them to you. No one is exempt from temptation. Absolutely no exceptions. Number two, no time is exempt. It may be following the greatest spiritual experience of your life, but there's no time. You say, well, I'm, right now I'm having my quiet time. Every day I'm in God's word. I'm praying. I'm in church every Sunday. I'm even caught up on my tithe. I'm giving the building program. Right now, Satan cannot get me. False. Satan will be after you. Now, I may be talking to somebody this morning who says, well, you know, you're not talking to me because Satan doesn't bother me. Hello, he already has you. Now, no time is exempt. No one is exempt. Number three, no place is exempt. You know where Jesus was when he got tempted in the wilderness? Oh, he said, well, he's in the wilderness. He was right smack dab in the middle of God's perfect will. Did you catch the, the word that said he was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into the place of temptation? You can be right smack dab in the middle of God's will and be severely tempted. And number four, there's no point where you are exempt. You may be, you say, I've been serving God 45 years. You're still going to be tempted. There's never a point in your life. Paul had written half the New Testament. He'd established half the churches in the New Testament. And he says, I have not arrived. I'm still messing up. There are things that I'm not going to do, I end up doing. I give in to temptation. I mess up. So no one is exempt. No time is exempt. No place is exempt. No point is exempt. And let me tell you, this is a personal devil we're dealing with. Notice it says, he's led of the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the definite article is used. That means that we're not talking about a demonic spirit. We're not talking about an evil influence. We're talking about a personal devil. Friend, you better believe in a personal devil. Because he is going to give you problems until you die and go to heaven. And he is a being of super intelligence and incredible power. It is shocking, it is amazing. In fact, we don't even have a comprehension of how much power and how smart Satan really is. I mean, you see people all the time do things, you say, how in the world could anybody ever do that? Satan knows how to get people to do almost anything. He's that smart. He's that powerful. In fact, the Bible calls it the prince, the demons, the God of this world, the ruler of darkness. 
He is our enemy. He is personal. He is the devil. But now let me tell you something. He also is restricted. God says you can go so far. And that's as far as you can go. Job is a great illustration in the Old Testament. But the two most important battles ever fought were fought between Jesus and the devil. First in the wilderness, and he won. Then in the garden of Gethsemane, and he won. And there's a final battle between the devil and Jesus that's coming, and it may not be too far away. And guess what? He's going to win that one too. You say, well, how does all this relate to me? Well, all temptation is the same. It's common to all of us. You see, every temptation that you're facing, we all face. Every temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness, we faced. There are really just three temptations, passion, possessions, and pride. And all the temptations fit into those three, passions, possessions, pride. And Jesus was tempted in those three areas. And every temptation you'll ever have will come from those three areas. So the Bible can say, can say he was tempted at all points such as we are. It does not mean that he's tempted in every single way that we're tempted. Jesus wasn't tempted with Krispy Kreme donuts. But he was tempted from being hungry for 40 days and 40 nights and then offered the opportunity and encouraged to turn stone into bread, which he could have done and had something better than Krispy Kreme. But he chose not to do it. So our temptations come into these three areas. The Bible talks about it in 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, every temptation, what are they? The cravings of sinful man, passions. The lust of his eyes, possessions. And the boasting of what he has and does, pride. Comes not from the Father, not from God, but from the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So there are three temptations. Number one, the lust of the flesh. That involves doing those things that we do to satisfy sinful flesh. Passions. Involves the body, our appetites, our cravings, our desires, our hungers. Matthew 4, 3 says, The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So there's the temptation. Satan was saying to Jesus, all right, Jesus, satisfy your body. I mean, you had not had anything to eat for six weeks. You are some kind of hungry. Turn these stones into bread and have yourself a meal. Pamper your flesh. Let your appetite be your God. You see, there's nothing wrong with eating food. Thank God. There's nothing wrong with eating Krispy Kreme donuts. You just have to limit the number that you eat. 
Not anything wrong with that at all. Unless you put that before God. Now, instead of coming to church today, had I gone to Dallas to get Krispy Kreme donuts, that would have been wrong. I didn't even think about that. That would have been wrong because that's putting the flesh before the spiritual. And you see, God led Jesus into the wilderness not to feast, but to fast. So when God told him to fast, then to choose to perform a miracle and supply himself food would have been wrong. It would have been putting the desires of his flesh before the desire of God. And anytime you do that, it's wrong. He said, well, that's, you know, I'll, I'll never be in the wilderness. Well, guess what? Tomorrow you will be tempted to put food and rest before God. Because you will eat breakfast and you will get your hours rest, but you don't have time to talk with God. You don't have time for your quiet time. You don't have time for the word of God. But you will eat. You will eat three meals. You know, most of you eat three meals a day, and some of you, I know, push it into five. But you're going to eat your meals. And yet you'll look at, at anyone, even the pastor, and say, you know, I, I, just, I, can't, I just can't find time to do my quiet time with God, to do my Bible reading. But you won't miss a meal. See, what is that doing? That's putting the flesh before God. You can do it with a hobby. You can do it with your job. You can do it with your friends. Anything that you put before God becomes your God. Lust of the flesh. Doing what you do that you should not do. Putting something before God. Then the lust of the eyes. That has to do with having. All these desires and cravings. Now you want these things. You want stuff. Things and stuff. We just, we consume stuff. We're called the consumer society. And what happens, things become our God. When the Bible says, seek ye first God, and then things will be added unto you. But if you seek first things, then you've got a major problem. One of our great problems in this country is materialism. Let me give you a materialism test. Add up everything that you own that money can't buy and death can't take away from you. That's how rich you are or how poor you are. Everything that you own that money can't buy and death can't take away from you. Lust of the eyes. The devil took him to the holy city, verse 5, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He's saying, Jesus, display your power. Show your stuff. Be spectacular. Let's see one of those miracles. Flaunt what you've got. When I was in seminary, 
the story that I heard just soon after I got there. It happened the year before. A seminary student on the third floor read this passage and decided that if he jumped out the third floor window, the Holy Spirit would catch it. By the way, it was a bad decision. That's presuming on God. That's testing God. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. So the lust of the flesh, that's doing. The pride of the, the lust of the eyes, that's having. And then the pride of life, that's being. What can I have now? What can I be? Ambition. What can I possess? What can I own? And again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, what does he say? Take a shortcut. I'm going to give you the whole world. If you'll just bow down and worship me, you'll be in charge of the whole world. The world will be your kingdom. And you will have it now. And here's the good stuff. You won't have to be a servant. You won't have to die on a cross. You can have it now. Kingdom, power, control. And so Jesus is tempted. He has a choice. Does he give in? to the messianic ideals of Judaism that wanted a king and a ruler and they wanted a king and ruler right now? Or does he choose God's way of suffering, the way of a servant, the way of death? Will he rule and reign right now? Or will he wait and die on a cross so that one day we will rule and reign with him. He had the choice. But because Jesus resisted that temptation to sin, he became qualified as our sin bearer. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, was it over for Jesus in the wilderness? Because he won. He won every temptation. He didn't give in. He resisted Satan. But did it end there? No. He had it throughout his whole ministry when the crowds wanted a healer. There was the temptation. Because let me tell you, let's, let's say you were speaking somewhere and somebody brought somebody who was dead and you touched them and they came alive. You said, man, I think I'm going in the healing business. And you would get an instant crowd. Jesus touched a dead man and he came to life. And the crowds were saying, he touched the sick and they got well. And the crowd sailing, we want a, we want a miracle worker. We want a healer. And Jesus saying, no, I'm to, I'm to serve and I'm to save. I'm to die on a cross. When, when they wanted to make him king, he had to say No. I go the path of a servant. When the disciples, even his own people, didn't understand this whole concept about him being a suffering servant and they rejected him, he still chose God's way. What about you? 
when Satan tempts you to want to be like somebody else, to want to have what somebody else has, to have status, to have affluence, to drive a certain car, to live in a certain house, thinking that somehow that's going to bring you what you're looking for. God says that's a shortcut and you won't be satisfied with what you find on the other end. It's God's way that brings the fulfillment. Now, since we're all tempted daily, what are the principles we can learn from this passage about how to handle temptation? Principle number one is the principle of sonship. The first thing you need to do is make sure that you belong to God. You see, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that you and I could become sons of God, daughters of God. We could get into God's family. The only way in this earth you'll ever have victory over temptation is to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life as your personal Lord and Savior. And with Christ comes the Holy Spirit, the power that energizes you and helps you as you cope with life as you say no to temptation and yes to God. And it is by saying yes to God that you say no to temptation. See, if you'll say yes to God consistently and first, then you can say no to temptation, whatever that temptation is. Sonship. Don't try to overcome temptation without salvation. The second principle is this principle of spiritual fullness. Remember at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Of course, he had this Holy Spirit from birth. And now he has this special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. So he is walking in the Spirit. He is being led by the Spirit of God. If you're going to win out, if you're going to have victory, if you're going to walk in victory, if you're going to defeat temptation, you're going to have to walk in the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? By dying to selfishness and letting Christ be Lord in your life. By confessing sin and inhaling blessing and power. By walking how God wants you to walk. The spirit-filled life, that's the genius of the Christ, Christian life. You can't make it any other way without God's supernatural power. The Bible says the same power that brought Jesus Christ out of that grave, the same power that brought a dead man to life is the same power, identical power, that is available in the weakest Christian. Which means you can overcome anything with God's help. When we don't overcome, when we don't make it, it's not because God failed us. It's because we've failed to rely upon the resources of God. Spiritual fullness. Principle number three. Scriptural knowledge. Every time Jesus was tempted in this passage of Scripture... When Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus answered back with Scripture. Three temptations, three verses of Scripture, all from Deuteronomy. He quoted Satan, the Word of God. 
There is no more powerful defense against temptation than the Word of God. So what do you need to do? If you're going to battle temptation victoriously, if you're going to win, you need to saturate your mind with the Word of God. You've got to know Scripture. Because let me tell you something. Listen to me. Lean in close. Listen to this. Satan sneaks up on you. Do you notice that? He catches you off guard. He catches you by surprise. You don't have time to go get a Bible or a concordance and try to look up scripture. You don't have time. I wonder what God had to say about this. If you're going to win out of temptation, you better have the word of God stored in your mind. You better have an arsenal, the weapon of God's word so that you can call forth that word and you can hit Satan in the face with it. Scriptural knowledge. So that when Satan attacks you, you give him the word of God. The Bible says, wherewithal shall a man cleanse his way? The word of God. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin. How do we keep from giving in a temptation? Hiding the word of God in our hearts. And a Bible teacher, a famous Bible teacher of years gone, said the Bible will keep you from sin. Our sin will keep you from the Bible. Most of us have lived long enough to know that's true. Principle number four, the principle of satisfaction. You see, this whole thing about temptation, it's legitimate desires fulfilled in illegitimate ways. See, there's nothing wrong with food. But if you do something against God, contrary to God's will, then it's wrong. Sex is a great example. God give, a God-given gift. But if you, you use it outside the parameters of God's will, or you pervert it, then it becomes a terrible sin. So we take something, usually something good, sometimes something wonderful, something that's legitimate, and we use it in an illegitimate way. And that's the devil's plan because he's so, he, he knows that, you know, you know, it, this must be all right because God gave me this desire. God gave me this need. It must be all right. Those are words from Satan. You do have needs that need to be met, but those needs need to be met in God's way, in God's timing. And if you'll do that, see, here's what, here's, here's, here's what I want you to understand. You see, we take legitimate needs and get them filled illegitimately because what we desire is satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and meaning. We're trying to get what we can't get going that way. As long as you're fulfilling your needs illegitimately, you're never going to find the satisfaction the joy, the happiness, the meaning that you're looking for. That's, that's why temptation is a trick. It's deceptive. It sets you up. 
the people out there who go down the tube in this world, they were searching for happiness. They were searching for meaning. They were looking for good things. And they believed the lies of Satan. But let me tell you the truth. There is no greater meaning in life than the meaning of knowing and walking with God. There is no higher joy than to know that God is meeting your needs and you're living life within God's parameters. True happiness comes from living life God's way. Satan doesn't want you to know that, but it's true. Principle number five is the principle of supplication. The principle of prayer. Luke tells us, Matthew doesn't give us this, but, but Luke gives us a little extra, uh, some words there where he says, after Jesus had prayed, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended. Jesus was a man of prayer. And let me just throw you this little tidbit. Does it make sense to you if Jesus saw the need to pray constantly and to ask his Father for guidance that you and I ought to pray and ask the Father for guidance? Thank you for listening to the Fred Lowry Podcast. Don't forget to connect with Dr. Fred by visiting fredlowry.com. And also connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. 